Ecclesiastes tells us there is a season for everything under heaven. It doesn't say there's a season for joy, live it up, <laughs> and not sorrow. It says there's a season to laugh and there is a season to mourn. Welcome to the Jesus Calling Podcast. Today's guests are invested in finding joy each day and showing others that they can find joy too, even during the most difficult seasons. Candace Payne and Ellie Holcomb. First up, we have author and internet sensation, Candace Payne. Candace has a joy that is infectious. Her viral video of trying on a Star Wars Chewbacca mask is one of the most viewed Facebook videos of all time. Candace has written a new book called Simple Joys, where she helps readers connect with the joy that is all around us. Today, she tells us about the unlikely places she has found joy in her life, about her evolving faith, and how each of us can obtain the joy God has for us on a daily basis. My name is Candace Payne. You may know me as Chewbacca Mom, and that does not mean that I've had a cameo in any of the Star Wars films, nor that I'm Harry and have an issue with body hair. That's not what it means. Uh, I went viral for posting a video of myself laughing with a toy Chewbacca mask in my car about a couple years ago. And because of that, uh, that really opened up some doors for me to do some incredible things I couldn't have done otherwise. Before the end of this year, I will have already authored three books and a Bible study curriculum and, you know, study guide to accompany that. And I will have spoken many different places. And, you know, I've done some TV interviews and some fun stuff, but I'm also going on tour this fall with Mandisa. I'm going to sing a little bit, speak a little bit, and host the event. So it's going to be fun. I've said this a hundred times since the video went viral. A lot of people have reached out to me trying to find, how do you have joy? Where's that laugh that I could have? I haven't laughed like that in years, right? And what I've really discovered is a lot of people don't know how to weaponize joy. We just don't know how to make it something that will fight back with whatever life throws at us. And from a young age, I think I was afforded that in a really, really odd circumstance that I wouldn't trade for anything. I learned what it was like to fight back with joy. I was born in Wyoming, and by the time I was six months, we left, so I remember absolutely nothing about it. And the last time that I counted, I went to more than 20 elementary schools, and I was always the new kid. So that meant either I was a wonder and a mystery to my peers, or somebody to poke fun of. So peer relationships were always hard for me as a child. Um, and in all honesty, we just battled just poverty all growing up. Uh, when I was nine, I found myself homeless, living with my family in a van, um, at an RV spot, taking coin showers, just living in my own world with my dog, Baby, and making it day to day. Actually, I believe when I was homeless as a child is when I really discovered what joy was. I knew I shouldn't have been as happy as I was. And I knew that circumstances seemed much different than my friends. But I also knew that I had a family regardless if I had a home. And we all laughed together. We all shared stories together at the end of the day. We all still made fun of each other. <laughs> I mean, you know, it was one of those things where I knew this wasn't gonna be my life forever. And I remember finding real joy in the middle of that. I gotta be honest with you, the video itself made me question everything about my personality. 
because now I have people thinking that I just laugh like that at the drop of a hat, and I don't. I don't. <laughs> like, if I find people in an airport, they're like, oh my gosh, do the laugh. And I'm like, oh, that's my real laugh, and it's rare. I'm sorry, you know? And if it goes too far, which I'm glad it didn't in the video, it kind of sounds like a duck quacking. So I'm really glad that there was a moment that it stopped. But I feel as though, for me, this unlocked this idea of, okay, why do I have joy? What's, what's something that maybe I've undervalued about the joy that I have? And it, it really has led me down a path of self-discovery as well, that I'm, I'm honestly in the middle of. I would tell you a year ago, the thing that tries to steal my joy is basically what everybody else says. Not enough time, not enough ambition sometimes. I don't, I don't really wanna get things done, so I just feel lazy. I'm just gonna sit and watch and binge watch a show. The reality though of what I've been discovering on this journey to really figure out who I am, the thing that always is a joy killer for me is insecurity. And you know, I even, I, ugh, I hate saying that word out loud and admitting it, but it's truth. It is authentic. Insecurity steals my joy every single time. Whether I feel like I don't belong in a group that I've been invited into, whether I feel like I've got to over talk and oversell myself so somebody will know that I'm valuable and that I'm worth it, or whether I find myself feeling as though, man, my kids, they're just sucking it up again at school. Why am I getting this note for the fifth time from the same teacher? I feel like such a horrible mother. It's all these insecurities that make me take my eyes off the fact that I can't have joy in the middle of this. I'm not doing anything right. And I think everybody, if you really take an honest assessment of the thing that's killing your joy, it's that. It's insecurity where you don't feel like you're good enough, that you're prepared enough, that you're qualified enough, that you can do it. And at some point I have to realize that Jesus knows me as Candace that is seated with him in the heavenlies. I'm not just Candace here in 2018. He sits outside of time. He is the alpha, the omega, the beginning and the end. He knows the Candace that I'm perfectly gonna be that stands with him. And anytime I need to know that that Candace exists, I just call on him and I say, let's download that again. And my insecurities are shattered and I find joy in everything that I'm setting my foot to that day. When you don't struggle with, am I good enough, qualified enough, whatever, and you see yourself through a right lens of how Christ sees you, you can do anything with joy, anything with joy. Candace is passionate about helping others tap into joy and the full life that God has planned for them. She talks about this in her new book, Simple Joys. Listen, people all day long can hear my story and how I'm happy. And you know what? You know what the response is gonna be? Well, good for her, good for her. But this is where you move beyond that and you say, this is how you discover wonder in your everyday. I want people when they read Simple Joys to laugh but more than that, I've given them places where they can journal, where they can answer the question that will give them a new tool. I've taken and reduced so many of my life experiences to eight tiny stories that I believe have gold around them. I, I tell you from the very beginning in Simple Joys, you are prospecting for gold. And that gold in this book is joy. And you are prospecting for the joy for your life. You know, when you lose a phone, you go crazy looking for it, right? You're like, oh my gosh, that has everything I need in it. And I think so many people have lost their joy and don't even care to realize that they need to look for it again. So I want people to prospect for joy in a way that they didn't even think possible in this book. And it's small, it's colorful, it's cute, but I'm telling you, that's just to pull you in because it's mighty and it's powerful and it'll give you a skill set that you didn't even know you needed.
I honestly think the most unlikely place I have found joy was walking through um, my grandmother's Alzheimer's with her. Uh, it is a nasty, nasty disease. And you find a relative that you love that can't even remember your name or remember how to go to the restroom. I was helping care for her and my grandmother was one of those that was kind of too good for uh, watching dirty shows on TV. And I walked in and saw her seeing Jerry Springer in its heyday. And y'all, I just said, Grandma, do you want me to change the channel for you? She goes, no. I said, oh, you're watching, you're watching this? And she goes, I know what they're doing. I said, do you know what they're doing? She goes, shh, I'm watching my show. And I mean, I knew that her mind wasn't there to process it. But I remember thinking then, that was in my early 20s, that is a memory I will take with me forever of how much that that was so counter to her normal personality and how much I laughed and laughed and laughed with her. And yet I shouldn't have felt that in that moment. And I do believe I found joy in unlikely places, even through the ugliest disease I've ever seen hit my family. I am somebody that's a seven on the Enneagram, right? So for me, this makes a good platform because joy is a natural subject for me that I embrace. But I have to tell you something. I also discovered about myself that I didn't want to press into pain because I didn't think that joy was there either. But what I'm learning right now is absolutely it is vital to take those seasons that are mandated for lament, for mourning, to press into that pain because there is joy unspeakable on the other side. You know, the Spirit of God gave me four words when I was praying because I honestly have been going through one of those as well. Very personally, something's happening in my life. I can't talk about it publicly, <laughs> but I tell you, I come to the throne of God and you know what the four words he told me were? Feel everything and fear nothing. Feel everything and fear nothing. He is the one that controls it all. I'm gonna be honest, my faith is ever evolving, which I think is, almost everybody's in the world. You know, if you go on a journey to be a follower of Jesus Christ, it changes from day to day. But my first perception of God was very legalistic and very restrictive. As a matter of fact, I was the kid that had to have grandma sew me some culottes for church camp. And oh my word, like no mixed bathing. You know, we had all the rules, all the rules. And so my perception has just changed throughout the years. As a matter of fact, I had this realization and it was just clear as day. If the scriptures tell us that God collects every single one of our tears, why wouldn't he want to collect every single one of our laughs as well? Why wouldn't he? I'm a good mama and he's a good dad. And as a good mama, I look at every photo that I've captured of my kids' smiles. I don't pull out the ones where they're throwing a fit at Target. I don't look at those all day and go, that's my baby. I look at the ones where they're smiling and they're so happy. And what I've discovered, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. That word blessed, when you look at the original connotation, it means happy. He is concerned about my happiness and that that piece of my faith is ever evolving, is knowing a God that cares and is concerned for how happy I am on a day-to-day -day basis. And not feeling shame over that word because sometimes sin feels happy too, right? It's, it's disassociating it with bad and really taking the perversion of that word to make it something that, that is associated with sin and shame and saying, no, this is from the Lord. Happiness is from the Lord. And here's what it can look like day-to-day. 
I'm drawn to places that are free, places that exhibit the joy of the Lord, where you feel and sense the Spirit of God. And really, um, in all honesty, you put denomination labels on anything, and it doesn't matter. The joy of the Lord is for every single one of us every single one of us. I think it's just a matter of lifting up our eyes and acknowledging who's the joy giver and letting him do a work inside of us. Uh, joy is a byproduct of something else. It's not something we come up with on our own. Like so many of us, Candace first heard about Jesus calling from a friend and she was intrigued. So I wanted out of curiosity's sake to see what this book said. And can I tell you, I was blown away by experiencing a tenderness in the voice of God as I read it. A voice that sounded very, very familiar to me. And that book was, I don't wanna get teary. I think I might. Um, that book was transformational into the way that I began listening to the voice of God. And the way that I understood the scripture that says, my sheep know my voice. And for the first time, I was hearing a tenderness to my dad that I had never heard. And it shaped my faith. It began to shape my faith, to really allow me to say, God, you love me and you care about my every single day. Inspired by the theme of her book, Candace reads a devotion about joy from the October 5th entry of Jesus Calling. Remember that joy is not dependent on your circumstances. Some of the world's most miserable people are those whose circumstances seem the most enviable. People who reach the top of the ladder, career-wise, are often surprised to find emptiness awaiting them. True joy is a byproduct of living in my presence. Therefore, you can experience it in palaces, in prisons, anywhere. Do not judge a day as devoid of joy just because it contains difficulties. Instead, concentrate on staying in communication with me. Many of the problems that clamor for your attention will resolve themselves. Other matters you must deal with, but I will help you with them. If you make problem solving secondary to the goal of living close to me, you can find joy even in your most difficult days. At the end of the day, the thing that motivates me is not necessarily being a lady that's a joy evangelist, or I, I have one topic and that's it. The reality is, is I believe we've all been told a lie that joy is a luxury, that it's only given to some people, and it's only given at one point of your life. If things are going just right, and if you please God enough, then you get to have it. I feel like we're so blinded in the church, especially, about what joy really can be and what it should be. There are scriptures that point us to true joy. One of them is in Psalm 137. It says, in his presence is a fullness of joy and pleasures at his right hand forevermore. And we don't see that as something that's for all of us. We just say, I can make it through my day. And then at the end of my days, I hope I'm gonna be received in the glory. You know, and at some point you gotta go, Jesus said with his own lips, I have come to give you life and that you may have it to the fullest. I think we bring heaven here the moment that we actually live out that full life. And if you believe that from the one that's given pleasures forevermore, then it starts here, it doesn't start after. And so my, my whole desire is to see people not just see kindness from me. Oh, she's so sweet, that's a sweet lady that's happy. I want them to see the joy of the Lord is attainable for you. 
Candace's new book, Simple Joys, is available wherever books are sold. Stay with us to hear about a wonderful Jesus Calling gift for your friends and family this holiday season. Hi, this is Mark Lowry, and I want to tell you about a great offer from Jesus Calling and Christian Book Distributors. When you buy the brand new Jesus Calling Christmas devotional, you'll get a beautiful tote bag, a package of Christmas cards, a mug, and a Handel's Messiah music CD, all for only $19.95 while supplies last. Go to christianbook.com, and while you're there, be sure to check out my book CD combo for Mary Did You Know, and it's on special for only $5. Our next guest is singer-songwriter Ellie Holcomb. Ellie began her musical career by touring the country with her husband in the Americana band Drew Holcomb and the Neighbors. Her honest voice and rich lyrics shined on her first solo album and deemed her the best new artist at the 2014 Dove Awards. Her latest projects include a children's book and music EP, both titled, Who Sang the First Song? Ellie talks to us about how she endeavors to bring joy through her music to those who are hurting, and her heart for sharing the truths of God's Word with others. I'm Ellie Holcomb, and I am a wife, a mama of two, and I'm a singer-songwriter. My husband calls me a modern-day psalmist, so I get to make music and um, and play with kids when I'm at home, make music when, actually I make music when I'm home and when I'm gone on the road, kind of always singing. I grew up right here in Nashville, Tennessee. My dad is a producer, a music producer in the CCM world. Um, Amy Grant was in his youth group, so he actually produced all her first albums and kind of fell into the production world. Um, so kind of grew up here in studios in Nashville. So I am the oldest of five kids. Um, and it was, I'll just say, it was never boring at uh, my house. We were, um, and my mom and dad say that, you know, when I was little, they, I just kind of acted like life was a musical. I was saying, I've kind of always just been singing my way through. And um, I learned how to play the guitar in, in seventh grade. So I started writing songs as a high schooler. Um, I remember when I was learning the guitar and practicing, it was so, you know, not very fun, the practice part. And then I realized you could put all these chords I was learning together to play a song, which is a little bit, duh. But um, I, I just remember being like, oh my goodness, I can use this thing to sing. And so um, I started writing songs. Um, and I started writing songs out of God's Word. And then um, also, I was sort of in college. I became, I went to the University of Tennessee. And what was amazing in college that I learned um, is I would be in the stairwell of my dorm room, and I just would be playing these heartbreak songs uh, so I wouldn't wake up my roommate. And it also sounded really great in the stairwell. So I would play these songs, and I'd have my eyes closed, and inevitably um, girls would end up lining up in the stairwell. And a lot of them, um, some of them would sometimes be crying. And then what would inevitably happen is they would sit down, and just because I played a song, they would share their story with me. And I'd be like, hi, I'm Ellie. 
nice to meet you. And they would say, thanks for playing that song. So I learned in college that um, that music is a bridge builder, that it connects our stories. And um, fast forward to, you know, I, I swore two things that I would never marry a musician. Even though I loved music, I actually got my master's in education. I wanted to be a teacher. And um, I swore that I'd never marry a musician. And I swore um, that I would never marry my best guy friend from college. And, and the Lord has a sense of humor because I fell in love with my best guy friend, who turns out to be a musician. And he convinced me to quit my teaching job um, to join his band. And so the first thing that we did, we left and we went to a Young Life camp. Um, Young Life's a parachurch organization that believes every kid everywhere deserves a chance to hear the gospel in a way that they can understand. And I remember that week we were playing our music. And um, what I learned that week and what I saw that week is that um, as we played our songs, it was, again, a bridge builder. But at Young Life Camp, what we what we got to do is music built a bridge so we could hear other people's stories and then we could carry them straight to the ultimate bridge builder jesus and i called my mom and dad after that week and i said i am doing what god made me to do i am firing on all cylinders and um it's been a journey from there but i am so delighted and honored that i get to sit in god's word and let music come out and uh, connect with so many people's stories and then connect them with the greater story of God's love for us. The way that God made me, when I sing, I believe. Like it helps me believe when if I can sing truth. Um, and so uh, a lot of times that's what my songs are. It's just me sitting in God's word and saying, okay, Lord, I believe, I know that this is true, but would you help? my unbelief. And um, for whatever reason, if I can sing, it really helps me hold on to to the, to the truth. I found a lot of comfort and hope in being able to come as I am, um, whether it's with fear or doubt or, or suffering or questions and just, or joy, and just to say, God, here I am. I feel like a mess. <laughs> But I am so grateful that because of Jesus, we can come as we are with all of our mess mm -hmm. um, before you and pour out our hearts to you. I wrote Red Sea Road out of a season of um, deep suffering and sorrow and loss, kind of seemingly senseless loss um, at times. And um, what I found during that season to, to be very true, two things gave me so much hope. One, um, when it felt like I was in a pile of ashes and rubble, when just things were felt like they were crashing down around us and then the people that we kind of do life with, we were walking through a lot of sorrow with dear friends as well. Everything from cancer diagnosis to, uh, to a dear friend with three young kids um, to uh, friends to walking through infertility, to friends who had lost little babies, um, to divorce, really, really hard, painful divorce um, of dear friends. Um, and so we had been walking through all of this loss and um, in a really close amount of time. Um, and I found the Lord to be so near, so faithful. Um, and then I was writing this record and actually recording this record and 
we got that call that nobody's ever ready for, that the test came back positive and that my dad had cancer. And my dad was actually producing the record, so we were in pre-production. And um, I remember being so afraid. I mean, I called all my friends who had lost parents and just like grieved with them just because I think when it becomes personal, you just like, oh my goodness, I cannot imagine. Um, losing my my dad, and um, and I'll never forget um, mom and dad a week after the diagnosis. You know, in that time when you just have no clue what the journey is going to look like, and I guess none of us really do. Um, but I mom wanted to have a praise and worship night at their house, and. Uh, we all thought she was kind of crazy <laughs> a little bit, but it was her birthday, so she pulled the birthday card and got everybody to come. And um, I remember I was standing on the edge of the room, really just honestly just afraid, feeling fear more than anything else, and um, had the privilege of watching my mom and dad run into all of the unknown and all of the potential darkness and sorrow ahead of them with their hands raised in the air, praising God. And there was something irresistible about that to me. Um, and I ended up in the middle of the room that night, right next to them, um, praising God and um, encountering the peace and the presence of God in a way that will mark me for the rest of my life. Jesus was so near. So near. Um, and I did not want to forget. Um, and so I feel like that's what David does. He's like, hey, remember, awake my soul. Remember the Lord is faithful. Where are you, God? Remember he's faithful. And so there is this beautiful kind of self-dialogue that happens in the Psalms a lot where he's saying, remember what he's done. Remember what he's done. And, and Red Sea Road for me was a, rec a record where I wanted to remember who Jesus was in the middle of deep suffering. And he was very near. And um, I remembered and encountered him as the man of sorrows that he is very well acquainted with grief himself and um, kind of felt like God's answer to suffering in some ways is me too and I am with you and I will never leave you and um, this suffering that you're in the middle of because of what Jesus did on the cross and because there's an empty grave this isn't the end of the story one day everything sad is coming untrue and uh Man, that was extremely hope-inducing to me. We will sing to our souls. We won't bury our hope where He leads us to go. There's a red sea road when we can't see the way. He will part the waves and we'll never walk alone down a Like God had shown me that He's faithful through all these things, and He's like, okay, and we're gonna, and here, here it is again, unknown, suffering, sickness, hard, and here I am again. And I love, um, I wrote a song about a week after this called Find You Here that's on my record. 
out of Philippians 4, 4 through 7. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Don't worry about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving. Present your request to God and the peace of God that transcends all of our understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I'm so grateful um, that he kind of just took me deeper in and higher up. And I guess that's what he continues to do with us. Uh, he loves us enough not to leave us as we are. And um, dad is in remission now, which we're so grateful for. And we know, you know, that's not the end of cancer, every cancer story. And we know that, you know, in our own family, um, having lost, you know, family members to cancer. But man, um, I think I love the posture of hope that mom and dad took as they walked through that because it wasn't a hope that like ignored the suffering or pretended like it wasn't there. It was a hope that looked at the suffering dead in the eyes and says, we see you, but Jesus, dad on the cross and he walked out of the grave and we know that this suffering isn't the end of our story ultimately. And, uh, I'm so grateful for, for that tangible experience of, of that hope over and over again. The Lord is near. He's with you and He is not going to ever leave you. He's not going to ever forsake you. And um, I would say words that I have cherished from Beth Moore. It says, the power of the gospel is that the only thing that was meant to be empty is the grave. And... Uh, Man, I am so, he, Jesus has been where you are. He's with you. He's walked out of it, and he will walk you through this, and you're not alone. There are two older women in my life who I know through the ministry of Young Life, uh, and they live down in Franklin. And, um, you know, I just, I've been praying for a long time for an older woman, my mom and my mother-in-law are both amazing. Um, you know, but sometimes you just want some other people to, to pour into you. And um, I remember Eve Serrett came up to me at a Young Life camp and she said, hey, I, Young Life, the camp was in Asheville, North Carolina. But she said, hey, she's from Nashville. She's on Young Life staff here in Nashville, down in Williamson County. And she said, hey, I live in Nashville and you live in Nashville. And what would you say if we hung out sometimes and you just let me pour Jesus into you? And I was so awkward because I, I had been praying for that. And I was like, <laughs> I just started sobbing. And she was like, is that a yes? <laughs> you know? um, but I remember I went down um, to their house and they handed me Jesus calling it wasn't as fancy as this one, but um, it was, it had, you know, the picture of the hand and, um, and they said, we want to give this to you, and we just want to encourage you. Um, I, I have a background of, I, I really struggled with, I'm, I call myself a recovering perfectionist. And so um, I always want to know exactly what to do, and what do I say, and what do I write? And um, they said, we actually don't want you to do much with this. We want you to read it, and then we want you to ask the Spirit to come and Maybe it'll be one word that stands out to you. And you just sit in his presence and you ask the Lord uh, 
to speak to you. Maybe it's just that one word and maybe he doesn't, there's not even any word at all, but you just sit in that truth. And it started for me um, a transformative practice of listening, of sitting in God's word, which I love that Sarah writes in a personal way, but then grounds it in God's word as well. Um, and sometimes I'd look up the scripture and um, and I would sit in that scripture and one word from the scripture. And I'm like, this is so easy. I didn't know it could be so easy to, to just enjoy the presence of God. Um, it was such a gift for me that I felt like I needed to always understand always everything about the scripture. And there is a time and a place for that, certainly for great theology and, and studying God's word. But man, um, I really feel like this is... Um, a book that helped me sit in his presence and um, learn to decipher his voice and then go back in scripture and see, oh yeah, this is this is what he says. It's right here. I think I've given away more Jesus Callings than any other book, <laughs> like maybe more than the Bible actually. And so I guess because a lot of um, a lot of people that I've given it to have been at Young Life Camp because um, there are young girls who maybe have just met the Lord for the first time. I tried to go back and, and find some of the times, and I love this because the deal is God's Word is alive. It's living and active and just like the rains that fall down from the heavens and, and don't return to the heavens without first nourishing the earth, causing it to bud and flourish. So's the word that goes out from my mouth that will accomplish the purposes for which he sent it. And so I've probably read through this book, I don't know, about nine years. And um, it's amazing to me how um, at different points in my life, scripture and even what Sarah writes can speak to something new. It always feels new and it always feels alive. And so I'm so grateful for that. One of my favorites comes from March 4th. Refuse to worry. In this world, there will always be something enticing you to worry. That is the nature of a fallen, fractured planet. Things are not as they should be. So the temptation to be anxious is constantly with you, trying to worm its way into your mind. The best defense is continual communication with me, richly seasoned with thanksgiving. Awareness of my presence fills your mind with light and peace, leaving no room for fear. This awareness lifts you up above your circumstances, enabling you to see problems from my perspective. Live close to me. Together we can keep the wolves of worry at bay. I think this might have been the first place that I was encouraged to fight worry with gratitude. And sort of was given a model to, instead of just taking worry and, and spinning it around and around in my head, just to bring it to the foot of the cross, to talk to him about it. And my friend Annie always tells me, um, my friend Annie always tells me that uh, she, when she has the days of worry, she'll start the day in the shower and, and she just, instead of letting it circle around and around, she just prays it out. <laughs> So um, I really think that this was one of the first places where I kind of was given that idea that, hey, don't worry, talk to me. And um, man, what a concept. <laughs> As it turns out, I've never gotten to the end of the day really, really worrying about something and been like, I feel better about that. 
<laughs> and so um, I just, I love that. Ellie is not only a gifted singer-songwriter, but she has a heart for children. She tells us about a book she's written for kids called Who Sang the First Song? I think sometimes um, when you write specifically for children, um, for me, it is such a sweet reminder that before I'm a mom, before I'm an adult with responsibilities of a job, I am first and foremost a beloved daughter of the Most High God. I'm his kid. And I might tend to overcomplicate things sometimes. <laughs> so when you're kind of um, boiling things down to a really simple form, there's something, uh, there's been something so good for my soul um, in that process. And I'm so delighted about it. It kind of follows the story of creation loosely. And um, I listened to a Tim Keller sermon that kind of blew my mind. Um, and he talked about not, we talk a lot in the creation story about how God spoke the earth into existence, which is beautiful. But he was like, I want to know why God spoke the earth into existence. And so he just did a beautiful job of talking about the way Genesis chapter one is actually written in the form of an archaic Hebrew poem. And so he said, how wonderful that when God was speaking the earth into existence, he almost spoke it in a song. Like it's written. And when you read the story again, you're like, oh my goodness, yes. And there was morning and there was evening. There's total repetition throughout the whole thing and beautiful imagery. And so um, he talks about how really God sang the earth into existence because he wanted the earth and he wanted us to sing his praises all the days of our life. And so this little book is um, just explores that idea that when God made the earth, he decided to sing and he wrote his song into everything. And he wants us to sing with our life and our voice because he created the earth to make a joy noise. When you're kind of um, boiling things down to a really simple form, there's something, uh, there's been something so good for my soul um, in that process. And I'm actually writing a children's record right now to kind of release in conjunction with the book. And um, it has just been a joy to, to write and remember that we're as kids. It is my hope with all of my music um, that it would it would point to the truth in God's word and, and to the hope that he offers us continually. And I think what has been the most beautiful thing um, is that sharing the hope that I've experienced in suffering and the comfort of God that I've known in the midst of what felt like chaos, the stories and, and the suffering that I've been able to enter into with other people has been, um, such an honor. It's just no surprise because he's faithful. And uh, I think he's the best person that we could know in the midst of our sorrow or suffering because he suffered too. And he suffered for us so that we could know that we are not alone. And uh, man, I, I pray that he'll continue to breathe hope and light into people's hopeless and dark circumstances, because that's what he continues to do for me. To learn more about Ellie's new children's book and EP, Who Sang the First Song, visit her website at ellieholcomb.com. 
Next time on the Jesus Calling Podcast, we talk with country singer Rodney Atkins. Rodney knows the power of music to touch our lives, and next week he shares one of the most memorable messages he's ever received from a fan about his song, If You're Going Through Hell. I think one of the the first emails that I ever got as an artist, and uh, the the message was that that the the guy said that he was— had just lost his job, his wife. I think one of his parents might have passed away, and and he was just miserable. And he said that uh, he was in the parking lot of his church um, at a pistol, and he was done. He said his radio was was just kind of barely on, and he started hearing a song play. And it's if you're going through hell. And then he said. That was 20 minutes ago. Now the pistol's at the bottom of the river, and and I'm home, and it's going to be okay. Do you love hearing great stories of faith each week via the Jesus Calling podcast? We want to hear from you. If you haven't already subscribed to the Jesus Calling podcast, visit the Jesus Calling page at iTunes.com and hit the subscribe button. While you're there, we'd love for you to leave us a review and tell us how you feel about the show and what future guests you'd love to see. Your reviews and subscription help us share these stories of faith to more people who need the hope and encouragement of Jesus Calling. If you have your own story to share, we'd love to hear from you. Visit JesusCalling.com to share your story today.